that. So Romans 8.28, very simple verse. I've used it many times in my life. Counseling, I've used this verse so many times. I can't tell you how many times I've used it because it's so important uh, for the Christian life. It says in verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would guide and direct this morning. Lord, I pray you'd strengthen my voice, that, Lord, you remove distractions from the room today, that, Lord, we'd be able to uh, focus on your word. I just plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Lord, help us to understand a little better how to love you the way we ought to. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Romans 8, 28. Maybe adjust the mic a little bit there, son. All right. With all the problems we face in life, the challenges, the battles, the responsibilities to God and to man, uh, we could all face them. We could triumph over them if we would just do this one thing, and that's love God more. There's nothing that you would not be able to accomplish for the Lord if you would love God more. Uh, I believe there's no trial of life that you will not go through victoriously if, as long as you love God within that context. And so this year we've chosen to focus on the love of God because it really is the foundation of the Christian life. And it's going to have everything to do not only with your relationship with the Lord, but it's going to have a lot to do with your relationship with one another. When you love God right, you will love these people right. Yeah. And that's what I want to see. That's what I want to do. Um, as we get into Romans chapter 8, we're having a little bit of a transition here. We're not really at the practical aspect of Romans, which is about Romans chapter 12, where, where it's putting into practice the gifting of the church and so forth. But Romans chapter 8, what he's doing now is he's culminating all of these doctrines we've been talking about, and he's bringing it into promises. And he's patch it, packaging it up for you. Now that's important because the reason you love God is because of everything he's done for you. And when you see it packaged up like this, you say, wow, God is so good to me. You know, we know that all things work together for good. You know, for those that love God. And so you look at the world today, people, they're belly aching about life. They see no future. They talk about suicide. And the reason why they're talking about suicide is they have no hope. Yeah. Hope deferred, make it the heart sick. Yeah. It's because they don't trust the promises. They don't trust the promises because they don't love God. If you will love God, you will see his promises. And as you see his promises, you will love him more. As you see his promises un, unravel in your life and be proven true, you'll even love him more. And so can you love God more than you already do? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. In fact, the scriptures talk about perfected love. It talks about how that fear hath torment. The Bible says if you have torment, if you have fear, you're not perfected in your love to God. And I'm all for fearing God, and I, I believe that we ought to fear the boundaries that he has set uh, in, a, in a reverential and awesome way where we know that if we step over those lines, that what he says is true. 
If a person will not receive Jesus as their Savior, there is a literal burning hell. It's there. And, and that should bring fear. Um, I was talking to someone just recently, and they said, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know why preachers are always preaching these messages that bring people to fear, and they shouldn't be scared of anything. I said, yeah, they should be. There's a lot of things to be scared of. And when God says something, you ought to have fear when, when he says those words, because what, what he is saying, he's not talking like you and I talk, where we just say stuff. When he says something, it is nailed down in concrete, my friend. It will come to pass. Whatever he said is true. And so that's why you take note of that. And that's what brings that fear to your heart. Say, Lord, I know my boundaries. I'm just so glad we have a God that tells us. He tells us those boundaries. He doesn't leave us out there wandering and we're going to trip over them and then find out the hard way. I mean, we choose to do that sometimes just by neglecting what God says. But he didn't leave it like that. He actually left it in a place where all of us can know exactly where the boundaries are. And that's why the Bible says there's strong confidence in the fear of the Lord. You can have confidence knowing, hey, it's okay. I can, I can go there. <laughs> I can do this. And other people say, oh, no, you can't. Well, show me in Scripture. Yeah. You know? And so we know where the boundaries are at. We know what God said is true. And so the fear that we have is not based on imagination. It's based on truth. Horror movies are imagination. That's a different kind of fear altogether. The fear of man is imagination. Oh, that guy, this is what he's going to do to me. Well, you don't know that, you know. But the fear of God is always based in truth. It's always based in real knowledge. Amen. And that's why the Bible says that, the, that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Practical application uh, to the knowledge of God begins when you know the boundaries of your God. But you know something? As important as fear is in your life and the fear of the Lord, which you ought always to have, that is not the final step for you. He wants you to actually get further in your relationship with him. He wants you to learn to love him. <laughs> I'm glad we have a God that doesn't force us to do anything. In fact, the aspect that he made us uh, a person with free will tells you how much he wants you to love him. A person that's trying to control you and make you do something, they don't care much about love. But a God that says, I'm going to set you free and let you choose, that's a God that says, I want you to love me with a love that's based on choice. And that's truly what love really is. <clears throat> the greatest commandment ever given to Israel was Deuteronomy 6.4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Yeah. This love is not just the love that you would get, like uh, you got your favorite uh, type of computer, my favorite truck, or, you know, I, you know, I've heard guys that used to be Chevy guys, and they went to Ford. <laughs> See, that, that, I mean, that's compromise, but <laughs> at the same time, that kind of love, <clears throat> it's not like you're going to lose anything over that, other than you'll have a broken truck on the road. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> But, you know, there's all kinds of things in life that you can choose to love, and then you can change your mind about it. I can, I can love chocolate ice cream, and then I can change my mind. Oh, I'd rather have vanilla ice cream. And that's really my choice of what I love. But with this kind of love that God's talking about, 
He wants us to set our heart towards it and never change. It's a different kind of love than just loving somebody as a friend or uh, anything like that. This is a true love that's far greater than any love that we could ever comprehend before Christ came into our life. Love means to esteem. It means indicating a direction of the will and finding one's joy in something or someone. And that's really what happens. When you love someone, you're saying, I find joy in you. And so I've chosen to love you. And you know what? God wants us to find joy in him. And he wants us to love him. Amen? The problem is, is when you stop loving him. Because there's no real good reason for that at all. Because he's given you every reason to love him. And there's no reason to turn your love to this world in any way whatsoever. So why do we love God? Very simple, simple in fact, if you want to do a message on love, it's probably the easiest message in the Bible to preach because it's just all over the place. I mean, you just punch in the word love and you got love coming everywhere. I think 301 times or 11 times the word love is mentioned in the Bible. Why do we love God? First thing is this, because he first loved us. You know, there's nothing greater than having someone love you before you love them. And then you learn to love them. Then you realize that they loved me before I loved them. That's powerful. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. Another reason is because Jesus gave so much for us. How could we not love him? I hope you understand your salvation today. And I know we talk about salvation and you say, well, you know, I've heard it a thousand times and I, hey, I was saved 20 years ago. And I'll tell you something, that ought never to get old to you. Amen. you it always ought to strike a, a chord of joy in your heart when you, talk, when you look back at that day when you got saved. Are you saved? Do you know you're saved? I'm not asking if you've been brought up in a Christian home. I'm not asking if you've gone to church and had some good experiences. I'm asking if you've ever come to the point where as a sinner you realize what Jesus Christ did for you and you came to him understanding that he was your only hope and you trusted in his sacrifice for your sins. You believed him. You believed what he did. You believed that he rose up from the grave. You believe he's alive today sitting at the right hand of the Father on high. Has there been a time that you've had that experience in your personal life? What, when was that? you remember that? Now, sometimes we get a little foggy. Maybe it was when I was a kid or <clears throat> we know we can't recall things as well when we're children. But you know what happened, <laughs> you know? I rem I, when I go back to my salvation, see, when I get, get kind of discouraged about, about life or discouraged about, you know, how things maybe are going, I go back and remember how things used to be and how the Lord saved me out of that. And what he did that day. You know, the reason why I love him is because he's done so much for me. I mean, I don't know where I would have been today if he wouldn't have found me. And it wasn't me, folks. Uh, I didn't go look for him, <laughs> you know. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He left the 99 for the one. He saw me. <laughs> and he did that while I didn't like him. While I wasn't living a life that was pleasing to him whatsoever. While I didn't care what he thought about my life. 
he, had all, he was already on his way to come find me. Folks, if there's somebody that you have to choose to love in this world, make sure you love Jesus. Make sure you love Jesus. I don't, I don't know if you love anybody in this world, but love Jesus. That's where it all begins. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You see, we will never serve him and live for him until we finally get a hold of the love that Christ has for us and the love that constrains us. <laughs> That's what I was talking about last service. You know, there's never been a person alive that has ever trusted in Christ and then stopped. Do you understand that? You know, I have people, they say, well, what about if this happened? What about this? This person used to, they, they said they believed, and then they said, I renounced that. And all I got to say is this. If they've ever got a glimpse of Jesus, they have never stopped believing in him. Never. Now, I don't know what's going on in their brain. I don't know why they're saying what they're saying. And I don't know whether they've even been saved in the first place. But what I know is this. That if you have ever trusted in Christ, there will never be a time you'll renounce Christ. And if you're talking renouncing Christ, it's only because you've been playing the game. It's going over and over uh, throughout the world today. A lot of the contemporary Christian artists that are out there, I've heard several of them now turn away from Christ and say, I renounce Jesus. They were leaders of, of these groups that went out and Spread the love of Jesus and worship, worship. How in the world could you ever see Jesus for who he is and worship him truly in your heart and then say, I renounce him? These people were never saved. Yeah. Be careful of the Christianity that's out there today. It's destroying lives. It's not building them up in the most holy faith. It's not teaching them about the true love of God, you know? In fact... People talk about the love of God. They say, if you, love, if you love me and you love God, you won't be judgmental. Well, then why does the Bible say that, uh, that he was praying that we would abound in the love of God uh, in all knowledge and all judgment? Yeah. Love is directly related to judgment. That means if I'm not judging, I don't love. And if I truly love, I'll, I'll judge. <laughs> But not judge people and not say, I think this person's bad and, and so forth. But we'll judge the things around us and we'll judge what's good for our families. And we'll judge what's good for our church. And we'll keep those things that will destroy lives away from our children. And we'll, we'll, we'll be judges. And that is completely based on the aspect of love. Because I love my family. I love my church. I love these people. That's when you truly judge right but love and judgment are intertwined. You can't separate them. But it's amazing today that Christianity is trying to separate love and judgment. That if you judge, you don't love. <laughs> my, my aspect is that if you're not judging, you're not loving. You're not. Jesus gave a lot to us. First thing, you know, God created you. 
I don't know how, to, how you feel about yourself, but he, he, he created you. He gave you your life. He gives you your breath. He made it possible for you to have your family. So whoever you have in your life today, your wife, your children, that's all because of what God did for you. God makes a sunrise every day, sunset every night. And I don't care what the climate alarmists say. They want to get you all scared that everything's going to change. You know what God said? He said, if you can stop the sun from rising and setting, he says, then my promises to Israel are not true. But he says, as long as the sun rises and sets, my promises are true. Don't tell the world, don't let the world tell you what's going on. <laughs> I'm going to tell you today, the whole thing with this whole climate stuff is because we've turned away from the Bible. Amen. We've turned away. What's this stuff about people believing in 12 years the world is going to be somehow? That's crazy thinking. Folks, we know in the Bible, according to faith, we have at least another thousand year reign with Christ on this earth. Amen. And it doesn't say it's going to be that hot. But you know, it's because people are no longer believing the Bible. They're swallowing all these lies. And I don't care about climate. You want to believe, I mean, they're going to tax us to death anyways. <laughs> Whatever happens, happens. But I'm not going to believe it. No. It's not true. The Bible is true. The Bible, the Bible is what I put my faith in. So I don't know if you've been biting into this thing, but give that another thought. <laughs> Go back to the scriptures and say, is that what the Bible is telling us? Amen. He makes the sun rise and set. God gives us free will. Aren't you glad he didn't make you a robot that just forces you to do everything he wants you to do? Now, sometimes I wish he would make me do the things he wants me to do. It'd be so much easier, Lord, if you just forced me to do this. But he says, no, no. I want you to choose to do this. Because he knows that if I choose to do it, that's a sign of my love for him. That's what it's all about. It's all about our relationship with God. The reason why he gave you free will today is because he wants you to be able to love. Not just go through motions, not just be robotic in your Christian life. He wants you to choose every day to get up in the morning and make the right choice according to the word of God because you're looking up the Lord and say, Lord, I'm doing this for you. I love you, God. You've told me to do this and I want to do it because I love you. Amen. God gives you another chance, even though you've blown it the first time. See, folks, do you think that you're going to go through the Christian life and not blow it? I remember when I got saved, it didn't take long, and I blew it. Boy, you think, oh, that's it, it's over. No, sir. No, that's just, that's just another opportunity that God's going to show you how good he is to you. Other people maybe write you off. Other people say, oh, you know, not dependable, not trustworthy. <laughs> but no, no. God looks at you and says, you know what? You'll fall down seven times and you're going to get back up again. And I'll be there every single time. That's why you love him. He's so good to you. He's, he, he's long-suffering. He's patient with you. I mean, how many of you did it take time for you to get things right in your life? When I first went to church, I had hair down to here. I didn't have nobody coming to me and say, cut that hair. 
be a good Baptist, <laughs> you know? They maybe would have had every right to, but they didn't. But you know what? There was a day the Lord just touched my heart and said, you need to cut that hair for me. It was based on scripture. The Bible said it was a shame for a man to have long hair. And I didn't want to be ashamed to my God because I started to love him. I changed when I loved him. That's why it's very important, guys. You got people coming in this room. Let them learn to love God. You know, you can control their life unless you're willing to follow them around every second of the day. Make every choice for them. You're not going to be enough. They have got to learn to love God on their own. They've got to learn that in the morning, there's nobody else that's going to keep me accountable except my relationship with God. And if you need someone always pulling your reins, (laughs) folks, you need to learn to love God. That's what it's about. He sent the greatest one he loved, his son. God sent his son that he would die for us in my place. Now, if I would have looked at myself and would have said, I'm going to take my most prized possession here, my prized treasure, my son, I'm going to let him die for that person. I don't know if I could have done it. You know, I probably couldn't have. <laughs> but he looked down, it wasn't even a thought. He says, yes, this is what I'm doing. Now, maybe you think so much of yourself that you think that it was a good deal. (laughs) But it wasn't a good deal for him. He got the short end of the stick on that one. And you got everything. You got everything. He suffered it all. He he went through everything. (laughs) And that's why I think sometimes people, they try to add works to salvation. They want a part of that, that credit. They want a part of that. You can't have it. He did it all. I'm sorry, I'm not giving it to you. I'm not letting you have that. He looked at you as sinner, unclean. There's nothing good in you, nothing you could do. Empty, foolish, wicked. And he says, I'm going to exchange my son for you. Don't take that away from him. By saying, here, God, let me give you some trinket in exchange. Let me give you my time in exchange. Let me give you my religion in exchange. Oh, I got baptized, Jesus. Let me give you that in exchange. Sorry, you can't exchange anything. Salvation is him taking his son and saying, I'm putting him in your place. He's going to take your place. And if you were the only person on this earth, he would have done it for you alone. And he would have to suffer and die And he would have to experience that darkness of being separated from his father to the same degree if it would have been just you alone as opposed to a seven, eight, nine, ten billion, however many he's died for. Think about that. You think that his suffering would be accumulative. (laughs) No. All of the sin that he died for in all the people of the earth is just as bad in you as it is in all of them. And he did that for you. I remember one person came to me after I preached something like that, and he said, Pastor, I I always used to think that I wasn't as bad as other people. 
you're just as bad. The price is the same. Suffering's the same. The death is the same. Don't think that the, that drug addict somehow needs more redemption than you. <laughs> you need the exact same. Amen. Ground is level at the cross. We say it all the time. Because he gave his son for us. Not only that, we ought to love him because God gives us the love to love him with. It's pretty amazing when he says, don't worry, I'm going to take care of this for you. I'm going to give you the love that you need to love me because you don't have what it takes. Here you are a sinner. You don't even have the capability to love God. The Bible says in Romans 5, 5, and, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So we can't even take credit for the love that we give God. That love was given to us by God. In fact, love is a fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, and peace. We can't take credit for any of those things. I don't produce joy in my life. I don't produce peace. I don't produce long-suffering. I don't produce any. I can't sit there and say, oh, yeah, I'm pretty good because I'm long-suffering. No, that's what God gave you. He gave you the ability to be long-suffering. He gave you the ability to love him. He shed it abroad in your heart. See, this is how we know that we can love God more. Because there's more of you that he can put love into. There's areas of our life that we're holding back from God that he says, I will shed more love in your life if you give me those areas. And that's how you can love God more. Your love can become perfected. Amen? You say, well, I love God, and I'm not doubting that. <laughs> and I'm not here to measure your love for God. But all I'm saying is this, that you have the potential to love God more this year. Yeah. More than you did last year. And all you have to do is give him a little more of your soul, a little more of your heart, and he'll fill that up. See, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's his fruit that he wants to produce in your heart. And that's how you know you can love more. And if I would love God more this year, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to love you more this year. It's amazing how that works, but I'm never going to love you more than I love God. My love for you will never be out of equation with the amount that I love God. And if I don't love God, I won't love you. <laughs> so folks, if you're going around hurting people, you're gossiping and slandering and you're angry and bitter and all these things. All I know is this, you don't love God because you don't love people. Amen? How do we know we love God? First reason is this, obeying God is no longer grievous to you. I don't know if you're here on purpose in church this morning. Or if your wife grabbed you by the ear, gentlemen. <laughs> to be a good man, you've got to come with to church. I hope it was you that wanted to come. Yeah. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 3 to 4, it says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You know, uh, 
There's a time in our life where we just do what we do because it's expected for us to do it. Some of you kids are here because mom and dad make me come here. I remember one time I was stayed home from church and we went to a certain church way back. I don't know how old I was. I was pretty young, maybe seven, eight years old. And I, I thought I was going to get sick that morning because I wanted to watch Bugs Bunny. I knew Bugs Bunny was on the TV and I wanted to watch Bugs Bunny, so I had a little cough that morning. But I'm sure glad my mom and dad didn't believe I had that cough that morning. They saw, my dad could see through me. He scared me sometimes. I would never lock eyes with my dad because he knew what I was thinking. His eyes would just peer right through. So when I look at him, he looked Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Guess where I went that morning? To church. So, you know, there's something that had my heart other than God that morning. So going to church that morning was a little grievous to me because I'd rather watch Bugs Bunny. You know, that sounds funny, but, you know, it's really exactly what we do all the time. May not be Bugs Bunny. Maybe. Do they still have Bugs Bunny on TV? I don't know. <laughs> yes, they do. Elizabeth watched Bugs Bunny. <laughs> oh, grandchildren, there you go. Grievous means heavy burdens, oppressive, hard to be borne, referring to precepts. Oh, this is so hard. Do I have to? We got to go to church again. That's grievous. If that kind of attitude's there, it's because I don't love God. The Bible says, if I love him, I'll keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. They're not heavy. They're not a burden to me. It's when your have-to becomes a get-to. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that day for you when your church attendance had-to became a get-to. Some of you are still working on that. <laughs> I remember when I went to church, I'd go Sunday mornings, and then sometimes we go Sunday nights, and that was my have-to service. My, my Sunday morning was already getting to a get-to. But then my Sunday night was a have-to. Wednesday night was a forced to. <laughs> you know? But isn't it amazing when you love God, all of a sudden your, your have-tos become get-tos? All of a sudden I'm going to Sunday morning, I get to go to church. Man, let's go. <laughs> Sunday night, I get to. Wednesday night, I get to. I was asking some of the risky kids, you guys like coming to church? They came on Wednesday night. I says, you like coming to church on Wednesday night? Yeah. I love the fact that they got to get to at that age. You got to keep that up. You got to foster that in their lives. You know, you know, you know where they get the have to from, right? Us. They learn the have to's from us. But love makes it a get to. Something happens when the world gets our hearts. We look to the things of God as somebody forcing us to do these things. I'm forced and I'm guilted into church attendance. You know, you see people that used to go to church when they were younger, but now they're in the world and they talk about their past life in church. They're so judgmental. They, they, you, you have to do these things. You have. See, the problem is <clears throat> they stop loving God somewhere down the line. And all of a sudden, it all got to be a forced thing. It all got to be a heavy burden. 
and now everything that someone required, the preacher would preach a message, just, oh, it's just a heavy burden. And, and they got all critical because of the heavy burdens that the, the preacher's putting on the people. But then why is it that there's other people that's saying, oh, Lord, thank you for that message. And they, they give their heart to it and they do it. Why, how, how do you explain that? Yeah. If it's such a heavy message, why isn't it heavy for everybody? But it seems to be heavy for some, but it seems to be very light for others. So is it heavy to you or is it light to you? Maybe you should come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he says. He says, and you'll find rest unto your souls. Got no rest in your soul. Everything's a burden. Love God. When you love God, I'll tell you, it'll all become light. You know, it's, it's like when you chose to love your wife. You know, you chose her because you're getting together, you weren't married yet, and you, she was your girlfriend. And was there anything that would stand between you and her? How far would you have driven? How much gas would you have given out? Amen. I remember my son Samuel and Charity started courting. She was in Edmonton. He was here. You know, I bet you that two and a half hour drive for him was not a big deal. But for other things, two and a half hours. (laughs) But when it comes to the one you love, that two and a half hours is nothing. I get to see her today. Amen. Amen. I get to be with my Lord today. All the difference, you know what it is? It's just loving God. It's loving God. Do you love Him today? How do you know? You know when things aren't grievous, when things are light, when it's easy to come to church on Sunday mornings. You're not having to, you know, drag everybody and your kids, oh, I want to go. You got to teach them to love God. You've got to teach them what Jesus did for them and how everything that God is doing for them right now and, and how their future hinges upon everything God is to them. Amen? They'll learn to love them. You'll know you love them when we love those who God loves. First John 4.20, it says, If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Our love for God is expressed to other people. So if I, if I hate somebody, I'm making a very definite statement that I don't love God. Even though I say I do. But the Bible says, you're a liar. You're a liar. Wow, that hits home. <laughs> I hate this person, you don't love God. How could you love someone or hate someone that you see and say you love someone you don't see? No, sir. You'll love God's children. In 1 John 5, 1, it says, Whosoever that believeth that Jesus is, is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. What that means is, if you love the one that's birthing us, then you will love all the ones that are being birthed. Amen? Amen. How can you say the love, you love the one that's birthing them when you don't love the ones that he's birthing? 
Because that's his will. That's his desire. That's his love. He's doing that because he loves people. He, these people are being saved because God loves them. So if we have a problem loving God's children, loving your fellow church members, loving people in this room, there's a problem. It's your problem. And the problem is you don't love God. Not only just loving God's children, but loving your enemies. <laughs> this is a hard one. <laughs> you guys got enemies? Luke 6.35 says, But love ye your enemies, and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. Hoping for nothing again. I don't know about you, but if I borrow something to my enemy, I'm waiting for them not to give it back so I can blame them. Oh no, he says, you love your enemies. When you lend them something, don't he expect it back? Give it. Yeah. Write it off. It goes on to say, and your reward shall be great and you shall be the children of the highest. Wow. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. God is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. So now you get this picture of God being kind to your enemy. What are you going to do? He loves them. What are you going to do? You're going to go on your hatred and your bitterness? Well, if you do, it's because you don't love God. But if you love God, you're going to see what's important to God. You're going to see him be kind to that enemy. You say, you know what, Lord? Because you love him, I love him too. Amen? Yeah. Now it's gotten quieter. <laughs> Hey, preacher, children of God is one thing. Enemies, that's another. It is another. And that's why he says, great is your reward. Great is your reward. You need more love. You need to love him more. When you love God more, you'll start loving those enemies. That's the ultimate expression of love for God. Amen? Wow. You'll love your enemies. Now, I've got to shut this down. I'll give you one more. <clears throat> How do you know you love God? When you endure trials faithfully. In James 1.12, it says this, Blessed is a man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Wow. You know what? If we love God, we will understand that God is not out to get us. He's not here to destroy us. He is making us better. Sure, it's hot. He's the furnace operator. He's got that temperature gauge and he's got it cranked almost to a place where you're saying, I can't even handle this anymore, God. He says, no, no, no. As long as my hand's on the temperature, you will handle every degree that I choose for you. And he puts it right to the right temperature. And when that happens, all those impurities begin to float to the top. And he gets his slag uh, uh, ladle and he starts scooping it off the top. And he says, there it is. That's the stuff I wanted. That's the stuff I wanted out of your life. And he knew exactly what degree to put that to because he loves you. Yeah. And the Bible says that if you love him, you will understand that he loves you. 
And if he loves you, he's not trying to destroy you. No matter what weight is on your life, it's on purpose. It's God's plan for you. He will make you better. He'll take the slag off the top and you will become pure as gold, the Bible says. And because of that, you say, Lord, I love you even more. When the tests come, you don't run. You don't quit. Yeah. Something we're talking about in Sunday school with marriages and with different things. If you think that your Christian life, your marriage, it has a progression like this. You start here and it's a straight line up. You're saying, yeah, I'm growing, I'm growing. No, no. <laughs> That's not the way it goes. You're always progressing. But I'll tell you how it looks like. I go here and all of a sudden, poof. Then I go up. I go a little bit further. Poof. What happens is there's a birth of a vision, there's a death of a vision, and there's a rebirth of a vision. See, people that quit on God and quit on people, the first time it hits down, they're out of here. That's where the divorce papers are signed. But a person that loves God, you know what they know? Lord, if we're going down and there's a death of a vision, it's only because there's a new life waiting. Do you understand that? In your life, many times you're going to come to a thing, it's going to feel like it's all gone, it's, it's dead. It's, it's, not, it's not even worth, folks, you are on the precipice of a new birth. Don't give up. Endure. Endure. Because you're still going upwards. <laughs> But it's a whole bunch of jagged turns. And that will go till Jesus comes. It's never going to be a straight line this way. <laughs> God's going to show you something great. You're going to be all excited. And then he's going to kill it. And then he's going to make it born again. He's going to rebirth the vision in your life. It's so important to understand that because, see, what he's doing, he's building your heart. He's helping you understand that, hey, not everything that's good just comes out of life. The best things come out of death. When he went to the tomb, he was in that tomb for three days. Most of the disciples, oh, what do we do now? Death of a vision. You know, they had the birth of a vision. They, they, I mean, Jesus, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They were on this high. They were saying, wow, this is great. Look at the miracles. All of a sudden, bam, he's dead. Gone. Buried. It's over. And even though he told them, they couldn't get that in their heart. They couldn't understand it. But on that third day, on that Sunday, they went back to that tomb and Jesus was alive. And you know what? That rebirth was better than the initial vision. So don't quit when the vision dies. Just realize you're just on the edge of a brand new vision for your life. That's why you love God. That's why you continue to endure in the trials of life. And the Bible says, if you'll go with me on this journey, on this ride, at the end of this, I'm giving you the crown of life. 
for those that will endure, those that will go through every jagged turn. You'll experience a death of a vision many times in your life. I was really counting on that job. I trained for that job. I spent money. I prepared. And it's gone. That's the time to look up. Because he's got a new vision on the horizon. Every time. With a child of God, if there's a tomb, folks, there is always a resurrection. Yeah. Always. You've had a child that died. Someone you loved died. Boy, the world looks at that and they say, this is the end. We never do. But we go to a graveside and I say my words at a graveside, we, we put that loved one into the earth. I tell them what Jesus says. This is just a seed that's being planted today. It's been planted in corruption, but it'll be raised incorruptible. Yes, this is the death of a vision. But there, my friend, is a rebirth every time for you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your trouble is. I don't know what your trial is. I don't know what the pressure is. All I know is this. If you're in that decline and you're hitting that death, just keep your eyes open. Because the resurrection is in the morning. Every time. Every time. Oh, what a good God we have. We need to love him more this year. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Sometimes you go through discouraging things. And maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I am discouraged. Just coming out of Christmas, maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you just don't see how things are going to work out. Can I just tell you to endure underneath that load? Can I encourage you not to quit? This is the time for you to look to the Lord. This is the time that new life will begin. I guarantee you that. Just don't quit on God. He's never going to quit on you. His love will be constant and consistent and he cares about your life and he's going to make you exactly what he wants you to be if you'll let him. Are you willing to love God more this year? Are you willing to give him another piece of your heart and soul? Maybe there's something in your life you know you've been keeping back from him. Do you know that if you give that to him, you'd love God more? You'd love him more.